hello again. I uh, hope you're all well. Uh, welcome to episode two of Breaking Down the Big C, series two. Uh, today, I'm joined by Mary Jo Hardy, uh, who was first diagnosed in 2010, which is uh, a long, long time ago. Uh, and her story pretty much brings us all the way up to the present day. So this one is, this one's a tough one. But uh, let's crack on with it. So hello and welcome to this week's uh, interview. Today I'm joined by Mary Jo Hardy. How are you, Mary Jo? I'm well. How are you, Tam? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Uh, You join us from America, don't you, today? Whereabouts in America? I'm in Buffalo, New York. Oh, wow. What's the weather like there at the moment? It's freezing. It's really (laughs) cold. We have a lot of snow. Oh, wow. (laughs) We uh, we get a light drizzle of snow over here and that's about it. Nothing. Could barely even make a snowball with it. Uh, So you were diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer in July 2010. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. So basically, in your own words, do you want to take us back to that moment you know what were your your symptoms up to that point I had no symptoms um I was 38 years old uh very busy with my career I had two small children I think my kids were six and three at the time um and actually they discovered I had cancer on my baseline mammogram um in the U.S. you know I think the the guidance is to get your mammogram when you're 40 years old um, but my, um, one of my doctors was, you know, advocating for us to get mam- our baseline mammogram earlier, you know, just to start getting what does normal look like. And then after that, you know, they could compare mammograms against to see if there was any change. And um, on my baseline mammogram, you know, I got a phone call that said, well, why don't you come in? We want to take a few more images you know it's very dense tissue we want to make sure we are not seeing anything here I really didn't think anything of it I had no family history of breast cancer um so you know I went I went in and I remember the second time I went in for my mammogram they had me turn left and the first time I went they had me turn right and I remember thinking oh you know that's odd why am I going down this hallway and I'd say like maybe an hour and a half later, I was having a needle biopsy. So I went from, this is a routine thing. This is, you know, we just want this on file to, we see something, you should come in for more pictures. And then I was having a needle biopsy. And then just a few days later, you know, they called and confirmed that I had cancer. Um, So, you know, obviously nobody's ever prepared for that news, um, but no way did I see it coming. I didn't have symptoms. I didn't have family history. And this was supposed to be, you know, a very routine thing. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a big shock. Wow. Yeah, I, I can totally imagine. That's, that must have been completely overwhelming. That, that would have been. So, so what happened then? So half an hour later, you were having a needle biopsy. Did the, the city down and explain anything to you or was it uh, a sort of biopsy and we'll see you in however long for the results? They they said there was just this one area, it, you know, it could be calcification. They wanted to just take a closer look. I remember them being very gentle with me and that started to kind of get my suspicion up 
a little bit. They were kind of handling me with like kid gloves and, um, but again, I still wasn't really thinking anything was wrong. I had no reason to believe anything was wrong. And, and really they were just trying to say like, we're just trying to be very thorough. Um, so they didn't really sit me down then when I got the actual results a couple of days later, um, the doctor who called me, you know, confirmed that I had cancer. And then, you know, the following week I had to go in for more imaging. I can't remember if I had to have like an MRI or, or what they did, but I remember, you know, the tech calling me and walking me through the reports and him saying, you know, actually he couldn't believe his colleague found it. It was, it was very small. It was kind of very hard to locate. Um, and he, I remember him commending her for doing such a thorough job that they found it. And I, I just, I had no idea what was happening. (laughs) You know, I, I really didn't. Um, but then of course the whole whirlwind of doctor's visits and second opinions, and that just kind of just became my life, like a part-time job almost. Yeah, so one thing we we kind of as as British people, we we got to hear a couple of people from America in the first series where second opinions were quite common, whereas they're not common here. We tend to to hear the first word of the oncologist and we tend to believe it. So what is it is it a normal thing over there for you or was it something you were toying with the idea of or were you pushed into going for a second opinion or I think um, at the outset, even the physician welcomed that, you know, invited that idea. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think immediately you start to research information when you get this diagnosis and it came up pretty prevalent of, you know, you won't regret getting a second opinion, but you might regret not getting a second opinion. And uh, for whatever reason, I decided to get one and I had a very different experience with the second opinion and I'm, I'm really glad I did it because it allowed me to, to determine fit, you know, with the doctor and even with the approach. Um, and I think that's really important. I think, you know, cancer is a very personal disease. Obviously it, it, it takes many forms and I think, um, as somebody who's been going through this experience for a really long time, I think it's really important that the patient listens to their inner voice and decides, you know, in their body, what do they feel comfortable with? And I I learned that very early on that the second opinion I got was just a better fit. Their approach, um, the way they talked to me about it and their, their, the course of action they wanted to take just felt right. And I really don't think you can go wrong if you go with, what feels right for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. I completely agree. It's, um, in a way, I suppose it would make you, even if if the answers are completely the same, at least your internal uh, self will be more comfortable with the path forward if you've then explored a different avenue, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back in 2010, you you were diagnosed after the biopsy and what what sort of plan of action did they come up with then it was the summer and i remember i was going to take a vacation and with my family in about a month and you know at the time 
that was very important to me. And so I remember saying, you know, well, can I still take this vacation? And, and they, they sort of assured me and said, listen, this is usually a slow growing cancer. Four weeks is not going to make too much of a difference. We want you to go on your vacation. And um, so I did that. And as soon as I got back, um, we did a bilateral mastectomy, um, which is a significant surgery. Um, I don't think I could have ever mentally prepared for how disruptive that surgery was. Um, Very painful. (laughs) But, you know, um, we started with surgery and then I once I recovered from surgery and I was strong enough to take chemotherapy treatment, I went through eight cycles of chemotherapy. Um, okay. And then I did radiation. I think 31 uh, treatments of radiation. Wow. Okay. So what was the, the chemotherapy that you were on? What- uh, ACT. So um, I don't even remember the full names anymore. It's, you know, I think people refer to it as the red devil, I think. And then um, the T is Taxol, um, which, you know, chemotherapy is really tough. Um, I worked through the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I You know, looking back, and I've done a lot of work around this, um, I really took this approach of, I'm just going to get through it. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to plow through it. And this isn't going to disrupt my life too much. I'm going to, I'm just going to keep on. I had aspirations at work and I had little kids and I was still going to do that. You know, I I was determined that this wasn't going to be this huge disruption in my life. Um, It was very naive (laughs) at the time, but I just sort of just plowed through and I decided to work through it. And and my job was great. They, They let me work from home and work virtually for most of it. If I was well enough, I would go into the office. Um, so yeah, chemo, yeah, I did chemo and then I did the radiation and radiation felt like a breeze after chemotherapy. So what, uh, how did you feel about the Red Devil? Cause I've heard some pretty awful stories about that one. Um, you know, for a woman, especially 38, losing your hair is really, really difficult. I think you don't, you don't really understand how much of your identity is tied to your appearance until it is sort of taken away from you without you having a choice in the matter. Um, so that was the, I think losing your hair is the most tangible thing because I was really determined to not look sick. I don't know why that was so important to me, but it was. Um, so I chose to wear wigs and it's a lot of work <laughs> to try to look not sick when you're going through chemotherapy. But also I had little children and I was really worried that they would be afraid when they saw me, you know, looking so different. Um, so, you know, I, I think losing, you know, your physical appearance is, is one sort of challenge to overcome. And then, um, you know, cognitively you take sort of a big hit. Um yeah. You know, I would I would do things like I would go for a walk and I would kind of forget where I was in my own neighborhood. Um, so that was like where you're like, wow, you know, this is way bigger than me. That's kind of how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, looking back, I think the determination I had to try to be as normal as possible actually was a good thing. Um, it, it, it getting up and moving, I felt like help me kind of flush the chemo out of my body. 
Mm-hmm. And I would, even though you don't want to get up and move, the if I did get up and move, the effects of chemo actually started to decrease. So just moving my body, I actually felt like made it a little bit more manageable. So I did, I learned mm-hmm. a lot, you know, um, how to deal with it. And over time, I just, you know, adapted. I, that's that's what I did. I, I just adapted. Okay, so... So how long was, was the treatment for? She said, how many radiations was I, it? 30? Well, chemo, I did eight cycles, but they, it was every other week. So that was 16 right. weeks. And then as soon as I was done with chemo, they wanted me to sort of recover a bit. And um, the radiation started probably a few weeks after my final chemo. And then that was every day. So 31 um, days, but no weekends. So right. it took a few weeks. And what was what was that like? Did you? Because I personally, I've only ever had internal radiation. I've never had any external radiation. Mm-hmm. So what? I I like to try and figure out the difference because obviously listeners and myself, we wouldn't necessarily have experienced that before. So what what sort of radiation did you have? So it it was. I thought it was actually really manageable. You know, I would actually go to radiation on my way to work in the morning and it only took about 15 minutes once you know they got everything set up I was only probably laying on the table for 15 minutes and it was I didn't feel anything it it was kind of fun and games talking to the techs and you know like Mm. it was I didn't notice what was happening and and really the only side effects I got was maybe a little fatigue And um, I have some scarring, you know, where the radiation exited my body, actually, like on my back. I I have like a perpetual like dry patch there. And I had a little bit of um, this skin discoloration um, because, it, you know, it burned a little bit. Mm. But it was very manageable for me, the radiation. I see. I see. So. So what happened afterwards? Did you go back? Did they say there'll be no more treatment for a while or? So what they do is um, typically with people in my situation, being as young as I was, um, they'll put in my uh, cancer was hormone receptor positive. So that's a good thing because there are other treatments. So they mm-hmm. they put me on a drug called tamoxifen, um, which I didn't tolerate that well. So they ended up shifting me to like a cousin of tamoxifen, which I think is actually a drug that is more commonly used in the UK. And that was, that was going to be it, you know, for 10 years, I was just going to be on that drug. And then they would, um, the agreement was they would monitor me through physical exam and communication. And I remember being really shocked that I wasn't going to have scans. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's the national, uh, the American Cancer Society guidance on, on what the protocol is. Um, I couldn't believe that that's what was going to be the situation because Mm. you know they they said well you know you'll know if something's wrong and and I was like well I had no idea something was wrong in the first place so I have no idea how I would know and and I actually started to to practice mindfulness um so that I could um not only manage stress that's probably the main reason why I started to practice mindfulness, but also so I could be more in tune with my body. I'm, I'm not like a, wasn't a terribly, um, I think it's somatic. I think that's what the term is. You know, when you're very in tune with bodily sensations, that that's not who I was. I was, I didn't feel things in my body. So I was very worried that I would miss 
a, yeah. a sign. Um, yeah. So that was the recommendation. Wow. That, that just seems far-fetched. That does. It's, it, I mean, over here we hear many horror stories about things like costs and, well, yeah, scan costs. Could it potentially have been something to do with that maybe? You know, maybe that's why the 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 standard guidance is the way. But in my situation, I had great insurance, and that w- wouldn't have been an issue. I if if they had said stand, scans were medically necessary for me, I would have had them covered, and it wouldn't have been an issue for me. Um, one of the things I remember them saying was tests beget tests. So, you know, I I had regular checkups for eight years, and um. You know, they were very routine mm-hmm. um, and I was feeling fine. And, um, you know, looking back, there was physical exam and they would ask questions and, you know, we would check in and I kept all of my appointments. I was really good about that. Um, but I, what ended up happening was, oh gosh, I don't even remember what year it was. It must have been around twenty. 17 or early 2018, I did develop a cough Mm -hmm. um, and it would come and go. And there was always like logical explanations for the cough. Like, you know, they were doing work in my office, like construction. And I thought it was, you know, the dust was irritating me or it was allergy season, seasonal allergy season. Mm -hmm. And um, so it would kind of, I would have a cough, but it would go away. It wouldn't produce anything. It was just kind of like a... You know, like that kind of all the time. And at one of my checkups, because I kept them all, I ended up seeing a surgeon. Um, it was my surgical checkup, which was only an annual thing. It wasn't an oncologist. And I was nervous to tell him about this cough, but I did. And I said, you know, I've got this persistent cough. And, you know, he was very busy and he kind of was like, um, you know, if, if you're not coughing up blood, I wouldn't worry about it. And that was it. And I was very relieved to hear a doctor say, don't worry about it. Um, but you know, in hindsight, um, there should have been intervention at that point because, um, breast cancer very commonly, um, metastasized to the lungs and that is in fact what was going on. So that was about July of, I think of 2018 and I kept on having the cough and by like October of that year, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to my general doctor, just no cancer doctor. I'm going to go to my general doctor because maybe I have something. And they diagnosed me with pneumonia. Um, And they said, you know, take this antibiotic and come back in three weeks and we're going to do another x-ray just to make sure that the pneumonia has cleared up. And I went back for that x-ray and my doctor came in and she said, this is not pneumonia. Um we're not liking what we're seeing here. It's gotten worse in three weeks. And we're going to refer you back to Roswell, which is the cancer center that I go to. And I still didn't really know. I thought just my cancer was back. Um, Mm. I didn't really understand what metastasis, I didn't know that that's what I was dealing with. So I ended up going back to the cancer center and, you know, long story short, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, which about 30% of breast cancer survivors actually um, end up with metastasis, which I also didn't know. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, my my whole world changed. Um, yeah, of course. 
yeah. So that was that was a very very different um, experience than the first time. It, it it baffles me that you've got you've got cancer in your breast, and then you develop a cough, and they don't naturally want to to examine that further. They just they try and think of what else it could be. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think the the first thing that happened when I saw the surgeon, you know, he's he's not an oncologist and his job is to take cancer out. So I don't think he was is it was just really bad luck that that's the follow-up visit I had in the summer. If it had been an oncologist, I'm confident they would have said, "Whoa, time out. We're going to do tests." Um, and then when I went to my general practitioner in the fall, you know, I met with a nurse. I, I had a cough. So they're, they're thinking it's an upper respiratory infection. That's the first thing that they're looking at. Um, so I never really, I never really was upset uh, that it was missed or anything. I, I really under, I was in that experience and I understood these healthcare professionals were doing what they thought was the right thing to do. Um, and eventually we got to the right answer. I don't feel like I went, you know, for a long, long period of time of being misdiagnosed or anything like that. Um, you know, as soon as that x-ray came back, it was, oh, we have a big problem. And it was, you know, all hands on deck. What's going on? Um, I had a liver, uh, biopsy of one of the tumors on my lung that was big enough for them to biopsy and they immediately confirmed that it was the breast cancer um, that had spread and you know that was it now it was a whole new treatment plan and a whole new world <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about that that treatment plan how did that differ to previously it's it's totally different. I expected them automatically to say, "Well, you're going to have chemotherapy." Um, that's what I was expecting, and and um, what they it's actually oral. It's sort of an oral chemotherapy that they treat metastatic breast cancer with. There's amazing drugs that even weren't around the first time that I had cancer. Um, so, um, what they did was because it is hormone. Uh, receptor positive. They put me immediately into menopause, um, suppressed my ovaries, um, started me on a drug called Ibrantz, which I tolerated pretty well. Um, what they do is they start you on the highest dosage to see what you'll tolerate. I've come down pretty significantly on the dosage over time, and it's it's worked for me. Um, so it's I really thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to be in chemotherapy. It's going to be tragic. You know, I'm going to, but really and when they told me it was a prescription, you know, a, a, a pill that I was going to take, it was like, oh, okay. I, you know, sounds okay. <laughs> um, and that's, that's what the treatment plan is. And I'm still on my first line of treatment. And that was, so I've been on this treatment for three years. Um, okay. I, I would say maybe nine months after I started treatment, my scan came back with no evidence of disease. Oh, wow. So I'm, um, we don't usually use the term remission for metastatic breast cancer, but right now the, the cancer is well controlled. Um, and it's, it's remarkable because at that diagnosis, um, 
it took me a couple of days to read the report. It kind of sat on my desk and I didn't really look at it. And and finally I brought myself to look at it and I had, they had found cancer um, in several lymph nodes, uh, small places in my bones, um, like one in my hip, one in my shoulder. And then I, I will never forget reading um, innumerable tumors on both lungs. Wow. And so it was, you know, very high stakes situation that I was in. Um, about three months after I started the treatment, they did a scan and it came back that, you know, the cancer's less active, but it's still there. You know, they kind of gave me this like, you know, it's it's doing a little bit better. And I remember thinking, what am I doing? Am I just going to sit here and wait for this drug to work or am I going to take an active role in my own treatment. And I, I did start to really, really pay attention to a lot of things, my diet, exercise, you know, my lifestyle. And then by May, um, I had a scan and no evidence of disease. That is, that is really incredible. It, it, I, I actually incredible. didn't think it was possible. I, I really wasn't even ever looking for that outcome. I didn't know that that outcome was even possible. Mm. And so when she walked in, my best friend was with me, you know, she she just walked in and said, your scan's clear. I was so confused. I I really was so confused. (laughs) I I needed her to explain it to me. I, I really didn't think that that was possible, but it is possible. Um, and so I've been very fortunate to stay on this first line of treatment so far um, with no evidence of disease right now. Um, but the way that metastatic breast cancer goes is, you know, eventually the cancer uh, will outsmart the treatment and then will shift treatment plans. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that next treatment works. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, that's, the, that's the deal. You kind of go on treatment. And until it stops working, you change to another treatment until that stops working and, and then until you are out of options, basically. Yeah, of course. And I, I guess with all these different drugs that are coming out, by the point that you this treatment you're on now stops working, there may be two or three different things that may work for you down the line. It's, it's truly remarkable what they are coming up with nowadays and... You can only you can only get that excited feeling that maybe something around the corner may work as a cure. Maybe I mean I, I don't know how how you work with your mindset. Do you ever feel as though one day they could come up with a cure? Or I think right now, from what I understand, the goal is to get to a place where where this is managed as a chronic condition. Mm. Um. And I think a lot of people would be very happy with that situation with tolerable side effects and quality of life, obviously. Mm. Um, But I know my oncologist, she also treats lung cancers. And she said, you know, the the advancement in treatment for small cell lung cancer, she said, I I would three years ago, I couldn't even tell some patients that they had years left. And now I can tell them they have 10, you know, so she's even... Her mind is blown, I think, about some of the recent advancements and treatments. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's very exciting, um, mm. all of the developments that, that are coming um, and that are in clinical trials right now. I, I, I think that's very exciting. 
Yeah, it is. So what? Um, so you're on? Is it Ibrance? It is. Letrozole. Letrozole. Mm-hmm. And a monthly. I don't even think I want to try and pronounce this one. Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. So what? Um, so what are the side effects like with these? What? What do you tend to experience? Well, um, the the side effects at the beginning were much worse than they are now. The body sort of adjusts to these drugs. Um, where I am today, you know, fatigue is probably the number one side effect, and there's a lot of like bone and joint pain. So, you know, the way I think about it is like, I feel 10 years older than what my age is. But when I first started these treatments, um, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was just kind of thrust into menopause. I experienced severe and chronic migraines at the beginning. Another another very common place for breast cancer to metastasize to is the brain. So when all of a sudden you're getting migraines, and they were ocular migraines, so I would get like those flashing lights and auras and things like that. I actually would lose my sight for about 15 minutes. Um, You couldn't help but think, oh boy, here we go. It's in my brain. You know, this is so that was a very very difficult period of at the beginning was getting the dosage right and and getting accustomed to the treatment was very difficult. But now I feel like my body has kind of settled in to the routine of these treatments and is they're kind of made friends a little bit. Um and so they're they're very manageable side effects. So you're are you still on all three at this current time to to try and stop anything from some yes. anything from happening. So what yes. um so what happens now? Do you just speak to your oncologist every few weeks or? Every four weeks. Um, I go in for blood work. Blood work's really important when you're on Ibrantz because um, it does impact your white blood cell count pretty significantly. So I'm immune compromised. Um, so COVID's been really exciting. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, my white blood cell count is very, very low. Um, there've been a couple of times where they've delayed me going back on. So what you do with Ibrance is you take it 21 days out of 28. So they give you a week off to kind of normalize. Um, There have been times where they'll say, you know, stay off of it for another week. Let's get your white blood cell count kind of back to a better level. That hasn't happened too many times. But so I see my oncologist every four weeks, I get full blood work. um, And then I have PET scans every three months. Oh, wow. So just to go back to you're having uh, low white blood counts and then you're having a, an extra week off. How do you cope with that? How do you get your your mind around that sort of extra week? Do you ever worry about the extra week or is it just one of those, oh, it'll be fine, you know, you just brush it off? I don't, I don't worry about the extra week that I'm not on that treatment. Um, from what I understand, I'm not really good at science, but I know that Ibrance does tend to stick around in your system. So I kind of feel like it's still there, you know, even that I'm not taking the drug um, that week. But no, that that hasn't been a concern for me. I see. Sorry, I only asked because when I was going through chemotherapy, if my white blood cell was low and I'd have to have another week off, I would probably spend that week climbing up the walls in anxiety. You know, it was... Nothing to worry about, but I'd always worry. 
<clears throat> and it was only towards the end of the treatment where I think to myself, well, actually, it's just an extra week break. Just enjoy it, you know? Yes. Yeah. So I know I don't want to get too much into it because you've kindly agreed to do a second one for us about mindfulness. Yes. But how has that helped you since diagnosis? Yeah. Um, mind, uh, mindfulness is my way of life. Um, and I thought a lot about all of the different ways I could explain how mindfulness helps me. Um, cause there are many, but I think, I think the best thing I can say is that mindfulness, this practice, because it's a practice, um, allows me to fully accept what is here in the present moment whether I like what is here or not is is you know actually not really relevant um I fully accept the entire roller coaster of life the up and the down is is my experience and what I've learned through the practice is it's our relationship to our experience that causes us suffering and if I can form a different relationship with this diagnosis and I can live a life full of peace and enjoyment and um, much richer life. And so there's a lot with this practice that has helped me, you know, managing stress and anxiety for sure. Um, Mindfulness does not make me an angel or a saint or this perfect person. It just gives me tools to manage anxiety that I have just like everybody else has it doesn't it doesn't take it away it helps me manage it um and so it's it's really powerful and um and I'm I'm very blessed that even though it it was a really rough situation that brought me to mindfulness I'm actually very blessed that that this practice came to my life about 10 years ago and um you know I I practice it daily actually moment by moment (laughs) (laughs) okay so one question i like to ask every single guest and it's not uh it's nothing specific but i like to ask it if you were to speak to a patient that was diagnosed with the same cancer that you've got what message would you like to give them if it was a message of positivity or anything like that what would you like to convey to them? I would probably say you have hope and that the mind wants to go to the end and you're not there yet. You know, in this moment, you've gotten terrible news, devastating news, um, but that's the only thing that has changed in that moment. <laughs> and, you know, I think with metastatic breast cancer, there's a lot of treatment and there's a lot of options. It doesn't feel like that at the beginning, um, but there are actually a lot of options and, and you will not like the fact that this news has been given to you, but you can you can navigate this. You can do it. 
um, it, it is doable. There are people doing it right now. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a, a, I couldn't say that any better myself. That is that is a really good good message of uh, positivity and hope. I'd say. And um, basically, all I can say now is thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey with our listeners and hopefully people can take it a lot from that thank you 